morning. I feel a little overdressed. <laughs> is, is this normal or is it because it was cold and, and icy? <laughs> I, I should have known. I've lived up here. I, I, I should have known better than to put on a suit. This is the way I dress every day, though, so. <laughs> um, I didn't even own a suit until last May when my, my third son got married. So gl- glad I had it to wear today. Um, I'd like to do a couple things before I start, before I read our, our scripture. One is, for those of you who weren't here in Sunday school, is to tell you a little bit about who we are and, and what we do. And, and then I have a couple of caveats or, or excuses. Um, Bev and I have been missionaries with Mission to the World for almost 30 years. We've spent most of that time in Africa, both in, in Kenya and in Ethiopia. And for the last 10 years, we've been running a, an HIV-AIDS care and treatment um, project, um, working in a couple of the slums of Addis Ababa with families that, that are affected by AIDS. Um, the other thing I didn't, I didn't really say anything about, I don't think, in, in Sunday school was about our, our family. And as the kids were, were coming up front and, and then going out, it, it reminded me, God has really been gracious to, to Bev and to me through our, our children. And we've seen a lot of families that have left the mission field that have come back to the States to, to care for their kids or because their kids needed them here. And we have been very blessed with, with our children. We have, we have four kids. They're all grown and in, in here in the States now and have all walked with God and, and have made it possible for, for us to stay on the field. Our, our oldest are twins, um, a boy and a girl, Hannah and Cooper. And Hannah is a, a physician. She finished three years of general surgery residency in Johnson City, Tennessee, and she's taken this year off and is at Harvard doing a master's in public health and has talked for years about going back overseas to, um, to serve there when she finishes. Her, her twin brother, Cooper, has always been a little bit slower and behind. Um, it, it took him a little longer to decide what he was going to do. I don't think that's particularly unusual with boys, is it? Y'all are usually not quite as on the ball. Um, he, uh, he's in medical school. He, he spent some time in Morocco with the Peace Corps, and he's about to graduate uh, from medical school in May, and then we'll get married and is hoping to do emergency medicine. Our, our middle son, Asher, is graduated from Covenant College. Our, our two older children, Hannah and Cooper, both graduated from Covenant College. Asher graduated in 2009, and last May got married to a young woman that, that he met there. And they live in Baltimore, Maryland, and he uh, works for a video production company called 15.4, and they're the ones who made the video that, that some of you saw um, during Sunday school. And he is in charge of animation for, for them. Our youngest son, Kit, is a junior at Mississippi State University. He's our only non-covenant college one, and he's always wanted to be a veterinarian and was able to get into an early entry program at, at Mississippi State. So hopefully when he graduates, he'll be going on to vet school. Um, a couple of caveats. I, 
I'm not a, a pastor, I'm not a preacher, I'm not ordained, and I generally do everything I can to get out of having to preach. I'm, I'm very comfortable talking about our work and doing the usual missionary sort of song and dance that, that we all do, um, but not very comfortable preaching. And so this is, I, I think this is the second time since we came home in, in July for our home ministry assignment that, that I've preached, and the, the one other time was last week. And so one of the things is that I'm not very original, so what you, you hear will, a lot of it will be borrowed from different sources, and I, I'll try to give credit where credit is due, but, but you may hear things that you've heard other places. Um, one other uh, thing about preaching is that I, I actually had a, a, a different sermon for you. I, I thought that there was sort of this rule that you couldn't preach the same sermon twice. And so I, I had one for last week. I was in Reston, Virginia, one of your neighbors. And so if anybody was at Reston, you can leave now because um, you're going to hear exactly the same thing. Um, but I was working on a, a different passage in a sermon for here and done something that I'm sure no one else has ever done. I poured about an inch of coffee out of my coffee cup into my MacBook and all my notes were um, there. So I'm, I'm doing a, a rehash of, um, of last week's sermon. Um, let me uh, read, read our scripture. I'm gonna start if I can dig my glasses out, and reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 18 through 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word that's true and that is eternal, and Father, that has the power to, to change and transform us. I pray now that the words that I speak, that all that's said and done would honor and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. When Bev and I started our, our project in Ethiopia about 10 years ago, one of the, the very first people that we met and started to work with was a woman named Wude. And Wude had a daughter named Salam. At that point, I think Salam was about seven years old. And Wude and Salam were living under a lean-to made out of sheet metal roofing. And 
if, if you can imagine it, it was built up against the, the block wall of another house, and it was just several sheets of tin that had been hooked together to uh, allow some covering for, for the rain. Wooday was HIV positive. She had full-blown AIDS, um, and she was too sick to, to get up out of bed and care for herself. So her daughter, Salam, was, was trying to care for her as a, a seven-year-old girl. And as bad as that sounds, it's actually better than the situation that they had been in just a short time before that. They had actually been living on the street, and an Ethiopian woman who was a widow, who was a little wealthier, had, had found them and had brought them into her compound and had given them the, the sheet metal roofing and allowed them to, to make some shelter um, to cover themselves from the rain. Wooday had been infected um, with HIV by her husband, who she had cared for and nursed until he died. And then she herself became more and more sick and was unable to work and support herself. And then um, she was left with only Salam to, to care for her. And one of the saddest parts of the story is that no one had taught Salam, no one had, had educated them about how to protect um, themselves and Salam had become infected with HIV while she cared for her mother. And so this was how we found them. This was the, the situation that they were in when, when we first met them and started working with them. And we were able to help some. We were able to, to get them a room, a, a better place to live, get them some help with food, and, and do a number of things for them. But the question really is, is how did, how did they get into this situation? What was it that, that put them in, in, in such a, a, a predicament that for us in the West is just almost unimaginable? How did they end up in, in such terrible circumstances? And if you really want to answer that, you actually have to go all the way back to the very beginning. And I'd like to read just a little bit from from the third chapter of Genesis. And this is familiar to everybody. This is the story of the, the fall and what happened. It says, starting in verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. 
In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. The reason Wuday and Salam were in the predicament that they were in, the suffering that they experienced, was a result of the fall. And we see some very specific things that happened in this story of the fall. We see that there were relationships that were broken. The most important relationship was the one with God. That when Adam and Eve sinned, when they ate the fruit, when they broke God's command, the relationship with God was broken. We see it when God comes into the garden and calls out to Adam, and Adam hides. That, that warm, close fellowship that they had experienced had now been broken. We also see that the relationship in themselves had been broken. They now had fear. They were afraid of God. They were aware of, of the wrong that they had done and, and the, the pain that that caused to them. We see pride comes in. We just see how badly mankind is broken, even within themselves. We see that the relationship with others is broken. The relationship between Adam and Eve, when, when God speaks to Adam, what does he do? When he says, what have you done? It was her, the woman you gave me, caused me to eat. The relationship between Adam and Eve was damaged and broken. And then we see that the, the relationship with creation was also broken. That, there, that sickness, that pain comes in. That thorns and thistles are, are part of work. That creation itself has been affected by the fall. And you see this in Wuday and Salam. We see the same broken relationships in the situation with them the way sin impacted their lives, the way the relationship between Wuday and her husband was broken. The relationship between Wuday and Salam and God was broken. The relationship with creation, even the fact of being HIV positive, having that virus, how creation has been affected, we see that relationship broken. So the big question is, is we live in a world now that we have all of these broken relationships, people alienated from God, alienated within themselves, alienated from others, and living in a creation affected by the fall. So what do we do about that? What is our calling as Christians in a world that's been so radically affected by sin? Well, this is where I'd refer us back to the scripture that we read before, back to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And let's look at that again. It says, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and did what? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is the calling that we have to bring reconciliation into this broken world. We, we see so many problems, so much pain, but it's our calling in God, in Christ, to be reconcilers. And God has called not just missionaries or pastors 
or people we might consider professional Christians. God has called all of us, he's called all of you to bring reconciliation, to be ministers of reconciliation. He's called us to reconcile people to God through the gospel, to bring God's grace to people so that there brings healing in those relationships between God and men. And that's our highest calling, to reconcile men to God through Christ and through the work that Christ has done. He's called us to bring reconciliation between people. If we look back at Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, he says, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. This is part of our role as reconcilers, to be bringing peace between people. He's called us to be bringing reconciliation for people in themselves, to help them see themselves as who they really are, made in God's image, having value, having infinite value, because they are created by God and they're stamped with his image, to help them deal with the issues that, have, that, that affect all of us, the, the pride, the fear, the, the anger, the things that have happened to us as a result of the fall. We're to bring reconciliation in people's lives. And God has also called us to bring reconciliation in the creation. We don't see any of these things happening perfectly, but we're beginning that process, and we do it in creation by bringing healing, by working to heal physically, by caring for the world around us, and bringing reconciliation to all of creation. We see this in, in, the, in the, the, the situation with Wooday and with Salam. As we worked with them, we didn't come to them with just one message or just with one thing. We worked with them in all four areas. We started out by helping with the physical needs that they had, making sure that they had a place to live, that they had a roof over, the, their, over their head, a dry and warm place to sleep, making sure that they had the medicine that they needed to, to, to care for the illnesses that they had, taking care of those, those physical needs that, that were so pressing and important right at the moment. We also brought them the gospel. It's a wonderful thing when, when people are, are in situations like Wooday, when they have really lost all hope, and especially when they live in a culture and they are part of a, a system that tells them, you have to do these good things in order to please God. If you'll do this and this and this and this, maybe God will let you into heaven. Maybe you can be good enough. Maybe the scale, the balance will tip in your favor if you do enough good things. When you come along to people like that, that can't get out of the bed, that the opportunity has passed to earn their way into heaven, and you can tell them, Christ died for you. You are saved, you can be saved because of what he has done, not your own good works. That's good news. And that's how we bring reconciliation. We bring reconciliation in the family, between Wooday and Salam, between their neighbors, with their community, bringing people together, putting them into relationships with other people that are similar, helping them to see that they're not alone, building up a community. 
So we're bringing reconciliation in all of these different areas. The way we've done it as a project is like I've been describing with, with Salam and with Wude. And it's not the same everywhere or for everyone. The call that you have to bring reconciliation is obviously different from the one that we have. I'll tell you a story about how we got started doing what we're doing. It was a little over 10 years ago. Mission to the World came to, to Bev and to me and, and asked us if, if we would be interested in organizing a, a church planning team, organizing a ministry there in, in Ethiopia. And it was around that same time that we had come back to the States. I don't remember if it was for a, a, a home ministry assignment or, or, or for some other event, but we were in the States. And I went to a, a church. It's actually the church where my, my, my dad has been the pastor. And as, as we went in, there, theirs is a very traditional church. It meets in a historic old building, and it's a much more formal church. My dad wears a robe. And they also have a bulletin to, to beat all bulletins. You need Sunday afternoon to work your way through the bulletin. It's not just the order of service and a couple of announcements. It's, it's stuffed with, with all sorts of things. But one of the things that was in the bulletin that Sunday was an insert on Christian history. And they were talking about a, a book by a man named Rodney Stark. Some of you may have heard of him. He wrote a, he's written a number of books. This one was called The Rise of Christianity. And in that book, he was talking about the, how the church grew in the Greco-Roman world, and particularly in, in Greco-Roman cities. And he was describing the, the different kinds of problems that existed in those cities, the people that were displaced, the widows and the orphans that were there, the, the, the plagues that periodically affected those cities, the, the fires that sometimes would race through these cities and leave people homeless. And, and as I read through that description, I thought, you know, that sounds just like Addis Ababa, the same problems that he described in those cities two, almost 2,000 years ago were almost identical to the problems that I saw in the city that I lived in. And then he went on to describe how Christians in that time had responded to that, how they stayed in the cities, how they provided nursing care for people, how they provided a sense of community and a new culture for people that could be drawn in, and a place for widows and orphans, and how that was such a, a a, a powerful transformational thing in those cities, how Christianity took root and grew in, in that period of time in those cities. And, and that really in, inspired me in, in thinking about what do I want to do? What, what am I called to do in a place like Addis Ababa? And there was a really strong sense for Bev and for me that that's what God was calling us to do, to live in that city and respond to the needs that were there. We, we were being particularly affected by HIV AIDS. We had more and more people coming to us. We were seeing more people that were being affected by this disease. And we saw almost nothing being done to respond to it. Lots of people talking about preventing AIDS, lots of talk about what we ought to do, 
but we couldn't find anybody that was actually going out in the community, going into people's homes, sitting on their beds, holding their hands, and trying to care for them. And we felt like that was what God was calling us to do. One of the other verses that had a real impact on me at that point was from Matthew chapter 25. And it's when Jesus is talking about the judgment, the last judgment. And, And he said, at that judgment, the goats are going to be on the left and the sheep are on the right. And the way you can tell them apart is that the sheep are the ones who fed the hungry, clothed the naked, cared for the sick, visited those in prison. And, they, and the people responded, the disciples responded and said, when, or he said, you did that to me. He said, when did we see this? And he said, when you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. And, and that's the calling that, that Bev and I believe that God has given us. And, and as we've thought about how do we work, how, how do we go about working in a place like Addis Ababa? How do we care for the least of these that, that we see all around us? The thing that's helped us is going back to the ministry of reconciliation and the ministry of, of bringing reconciliation in these broken relationships. So in our project with our staff, with the Ethiopians that are our coworkers, when we talk about what should we be doing, how should we be working, what is it that God is calling us to do with this person or in this place, we always refer back to, are we bringing reconciliation between these people and God? Are we clearly holding out hope in Christ? Are we making the gospel clear? Are people being reconciled to God? We talk about, are we bringing reconciliation in these families? Are we reconciling husbands and wives and parents and children? Are we reconciling people in their communities, with their neighbors, with the people who live around them? We ask if we're bringing reconciliation to people in themselves. And we're bringing reconciliation as well in the creation. We are committed to caring for people's physical needs, bringing health, bringing care, in the places that we're able to. And if you look back again at, at my example of, of Wude and Salam, this is exactly what we've done with them. Bringing the gospel to them, seeing them respond to, to the, the, the gospel, the love of Christ, bringing healing to them, physical healing. Wude, when, like I said, when we met her, she was sick and in the bed, unable to get up. Wude's about this tall, I think, isn't she? She's... She's a tiny little woman. And, and today, Wooday is healthy. She's um, started her own business. She bakes injera, which is the local bread, and sells it. She started working with another group of women so that they can share resources and work together. And, and today, she's able to support herself and Salam and no longer needs support from our project. To, to care for herself. She's healthy, she's taking antiretroviral drugs, and, and, and she's responsible for herself. Salam has always been one of my favorites. She's about 15 years old now. And she doesn't do this anymore, but when she was young, every time the school term ended, she would come to my office and she would bring me her report card. And she did that because she always had 
some of the highest grades in her class. And this last year, she, they do exams at the end of grade 10. I think that's when she did her last exams. And Addis Ababa is divided up into 10 different zones. And Salam had the highest grades of any student on those exams in her zone of the city. So Salam will almost certainly get into university. She'll, she'll earn a place in the National University at, in, in Ethiopia. And, and that is, is not just wonderful for her, that's a guarantee for, for Wude and Salam that they're going to escape poverty. And, and so we see that there's been reconciliation in the lives of Wude and Salam, reconciliation with God, reconciliation with themselves, reconciliation with others, and reconciliation with creation. So that's how God's called us. That's the calling that he's given us in, in Ethiopia. And that's how we, we think about our work. So what is God calling you to do? How is God calling you to bring reconciliation? You certainly don't face the, the same sorts of issues and challenges and problems that we face in a place like Addis Ababa. You don't have the same kind of poverty, the, the lack of access to medical care, the poor wages. But you still have the same broken relationships here. You're still surrounded by people who are alienated from God, who are alienated within themselves, and who are alienated from other people. And they are also alienated from creation. You don't have to go far or look very hard to find that. So I would encourage you to, to ask yourself, how is God calling you to bring reconciliation in the place that he's called you? Let me pray for us. Father, we do thank you that you have reached out to us, Father, that we have not gone looking for you, but you have come seeking us and calling us. Father, I do pray that you would make us to be ministers of reconciliation in the place that you have put us, that we would open our eyes, that we would look around and see how you're calling us, and that you would build your kingdom here. In Jesus' name, amen.